0: Um, If you would do me a favor, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We continue our series in the book of Acts. The title of today's sermon is Challenges to Growth. One of the things that we're going to see is another challenge that the church is going to face in the book of Acts. And it's because of their growth. It's because God is doing far more than they could ever imagine in the life of their congregation. And and they're exploding, and they're gonna have some challenges from the inside. But before we get there, right, you can turn to page 914 in the pew back in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, if you are a first-time guest, listen, if you're a first-time guest, we wanna know who you are. We wanna know that that you're part of who um, we do, what we do here, so um, make yourself known to us. We have communication cards at the back, in the pew back in front of you, but we also have Bibles, um, in this church, we believe that the gospel has power, and the gospel is made known to us through the inerrant word of God, and today we're going to study God's word, and if you don't have a Bible, you can grab that Bible in the pew back in front of you and turn to page 914. But before we get to the passage, um, when, you're, when I was thinking about this, this passage, right, like many of the challenges in the early church um, had to do with um, external and internal problems, Today we're going to see some internal problems again. And it's almost like we're studying like, all the issues of the church, but the reality is that the church historically, I mean, since its inception, uh, inception and in chapter 1, the church, universal church, has always faced obstacles and adversities. Right? Like, the people of God, in fact, since the beginning of Genesis, have always experienced conflict and challenges. You and I. On a daily basis, experience conflict and challenges. Am I right? But it almost feels like, not only in our church, but it feels like even nowadays, like some some of the conflicts and challenges that the church finds itself in, it's overwhelming. Right? Just even thinking about the last three years, four years maybe, maybe, I think about the cultural uh, challenges in our society. I think about the racial tension in our society, right? I mean, it's been in the news. It's still in the news. Hmm. How do we respond? How does the church respond? Well, in the last couple of years, how does the church respond? With the same issue. Racial and cultural changes in the tensions in the church. I also think about the pandemic, right? The issues that we face as a society. There's some who who don't fully agree with the legitimacy of the pandemic. And then there's some who are like really worried about the pandemic, right? Then you have like the people who, who, yeah, like everyone needs to get vaxxed. And then the people like, no, not everyone needs to get vaxxed. And then I'm going to wear a mask. No, 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 no. No one should wear a mask. Like, think about all the little tensions that we've experienced as a as a culture. But guess what? The church has experienced that. It almost feels like, too, the church is always, like, lagging. We're always, like, behind the eight ball. Like, we should always be in front of these things. The church should always be, be at the forefront of what's going on in our culture. But the problem is that the church has forgotten his calling, to believe it or not. The church has forgotten his ways. It has become more concerned about the lavishness and lifestyle of the celebrity pastor. And um, it has been more consumed by the production and and the glitz and glam of the worship service and the experience. And we want everyone to feel awesome in the service. And we've got caught up with making things look good and feel good in the church. And we're kind of like now just responding to the things what are we to do like does anybody have a solution to what's going on in our culture and in fact the church should have the solution to the problem a caveat with all that's going on i mean no matter where you stand politically you know both sides are crazy i don't know what we're gonna do (laughs) I honestly don't know what these, are. I don't know, we pay these people so much money to do what, I have no clue to be in private planes, I don't know. Anyway, I'll get off on a tangent. I don't wanna clear the room. But it's like, what do we do? Like, what do we do? Any solution that any political party or any, uh, any politician or any group, agency, news network, whatever solution that is, let me tell you something, it's a lie, you know why? Because the solution is Jesus and only Jesus. Right, like, that's the real, that's the real solution. Right? If... if if, if the root problem, the root problem, that, listen, the root problem of, of the racial tension and the COVID and the vaccine, it, it has nothing to do with the people. It has to do with sin. Sin has to be addressed. The only way sin can be addressed is you and I proclaim that sin is conquered and defeated only by the power and blood of Jesus Christ, and you can receive and accept Christ when he calls you, when he brings you into the fold, and you respond in all and you respond to his grace and mercy. And then that's when we can deal with the problem. But anything other than that ain't the solution. But what do we do? What about the tensions in our church? What about the problems in our church? Who's going to solve that? (laughs) You laugh, but... What do we do? God has instituted leaders in our church, in all churches, when there's issues and problems, there are leaders to address those problems. This morning, we're gonna see how they address the conflict, right? Like, How do we address conflict? How do we resolve issues? Not so much in our culture. We know the answer is Jesus, but in the church, how do we resolve challenges and conflict in the congregation? What do we do? What happens when there is racial or cultural tension in the church? What if people are not getting along in the church? What if people in the church are being overlooked? They're not being seen and they're being ostracized in the congregation. What are we to do? How are we to respond? Well, we have a good example in the book of Acts. We have a great example in chapter six. So let's go there now. full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to do this duty. you like to highlight in your Bibles, you should highlight good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom. Verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procorius, Nicanor, Timion, Parmenius, Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. You thought I was going to mess up those words. I know you did because I felt it. <laughs> and I didn't. I, I pronounced them right, but I ain't going to do it again. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, look at that, right? Verse 7, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but (laughs) do you notice that? A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what's going on here? Now, I want you to see, see three things, three conflicts that the early church experienced The first one is persecution. We've already talked about that in in previous chapters, right? Peter and John are arrested. Um, The 12 apostles are arrested and brutally beaten, right? I mean, they're being threatened that if they continue to proclaim the gospel, if they continue to preach, that they are going to die. We also see another conflict that they, they face is sin. Sin within the church, right? Ananias and Sapphira lied against the Holy Spirit. And they died immediately there. We know God takes sin seriously. But that's another conflict that the church is having to deal with, that the apostles and the leaders are going to have to deal with, right? Like, what are we going to do with the persecution? What are we going to do with sin in the church? And this, the third conflict that they experience in the early church is division. Division between who? There are two groups. Two groups are the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Who are the Hellenists and the Hebrews? During the early church, you have to remember, remember going back to chapter 2. What happened? During the feast, all the gathered people of Israel were there to celebrate. Who preaches? Peter. There are thousands of people there. But not just from Israel, from all over the world. Right? The Hellenists, during this time were Greek speaking Jews. They were culturally Greek, but ethically I mean ethically. Ethnicity? <laughs> Ethnically. There you go. I knew that I was testing you guys. Ethnically were Jewish, right? But through generations being scattered throughout the known world, they've became culturally Greek or even Roman at times. But specifically here, they were Greek by by culture, right? So they spoke Greek. And sometimes they acted um, um, Grecian, so to speak, right? So they were in the church. Why? Because when they're coming to celebrate the feast, Peter gets up, they get saved, and many of them from the scattered word, wanted to live in Jerusalem. They wanted to live in the surrounding areas, right? So, who do you have in the church? Who make up the people of the church? The Greek-speaking Jews. But who's also there? The Hebrews. Who are the Hebrews? These are the Aramaic, right, Hebrew-speaking Jews who from generation to generation have lived in Israel, they are not only culturally Jewish, but they spoke Hebrew, or possibly more um, importantly, they probably spoke Aramaic. So you have these two groups in the church. And there's an issue. How are these two groups supposed to get along? Now, we have to understand how this problem came about you have to go back to acts chapter 4 you can turn there if you want um i'll read it to you but here's what's going on here's why there's an issue between those two groups in acts chapter 4 verse 32 it says now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common, meaning that they shared everything. The people who had great necessity could go to the church and the people who were wealthy, the people who had money, the people who had something to give in the church, to the church, were able to receive from the church. And here's what happens in verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What were the apostles doing? They were preaching, proclaiming the gospel as God had called them to do. Remember, Acts 1-8. They're just doing what God had assigned them to do. So you go down to verse 34 in Acts chapter 4, and it says, There was not a need a person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what they sold, and they laid it at the feet of the apostles, and it was distributed to each as, as any had need. So what happens? They shared everything in common. So they sold land, property, whatever possession that they had. They didn't view it as though they were, it was theirs. Think about Imagine that. Imagine a church that believed that everything they had was not theirs, but was the Lord's, and were willing to give it all up for the sake of other people in the congregation. What if a church believed that what they had was a stewardship from the Lord and it wasn't theirs and they used it for the betterment of the congregation? Well, what's going to happen? It says it. Or their needs were met. Who received the blessing from that? Well, it was the Hellenists but more specifically, the widows. God deeply cares for widows and widowers. In fact, let me show you something else. I wanna show you something. Exodus chapter 22 will be on the screen. You don't have to go looking for it. This is how much God cares about widows. And I would say include widowers as well. Exodus 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with a sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Now, you look at that, you're like, oh my gosh, that's kind of rough. No, that's compassion. That is God, a loving and gracious father looking down on those marginalized, disenfranchised by the community, people who are far away, who remember during these times, right, like, Widows didn't have like land and property when their husband died, they had nothing. And God loved them so much that He would command His people, Israel, to take care of widows. So you have a legacy, you have a history. You have a, 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 a nation who deeply cared about widows. And I would include widowers as well. So what happens? Because God deeply cares. He also cares for them in the church. The legacy continues. And I need to say this today, that that if you are a widow or a widower, like, do you know that God loves you in ways that we cannot explain? Think about that, that like, if you have experienced great travesty in your life where you've lost your spouse, God loves you. He cares for you. In fact, he's commanded his people, and we'll see in the church, that they will love and care for you just as Christ loves you. Think about that, that that just as Christ loves you, it means that you are seen, you are known, you are loved, by a gracious, a benevolent Father who uses the church to extend His grace and mercy towards you. Every church should honor and respect our widows and our widowers in ways that are gracious and loving and kind, and we at the chapel do that. We actually have a ministry to our widows and widowers. We deeply care for them. In fact, this is what James says, right? James chapter one talks about how we should love and care for widows and those who are fatherless. That we are to visit the widows and the orphans. So it's not a, only an Old Testament command. It's not only a New Testament early church practice. It's actually a part of of our DNA that we would love those disenfranchised, those who are marginalized because they don't have a spouse. So what we see here is a a gracious loving father who cares deeply about those who don't have a spouse. And you know, there's some powerful stories in the Bible about widows, right? You know that, right? I mean, Anna the prophetess was a widow. The, the parable, uh, the story of the woman who had two coins, right? And also the parable of the widow who um, continued to, to pester the unjust judge, right? Like, those are powerful stories. And then we know the best story of all, right? Naomi and Ruth, right? Like, God cares for them. In fact, God uses widows as part of his redeeming story of grace and love towards the world and towards his people. So if you are one without a spouse this morning, know that we love you, we care for you, we honor you, and we respect you, and that we do anything in our power to make sure that you are well taken care of in the body of Christ because there should be no widow or widower who would, would go throughout their life not feeling or seeing the love of Christ from the body of Christ. That's my side note, by the way. So what's the solution to this problem, right? The the Hellenists, who were Greek-speaking Jews, they were widows who who were not being taken care of by the the other Jews because they were overlooking them on purpose. So what's what's the solution of the church? Well, here's what happens. The apostles get together together and they address the solution and the matter. And how do they do that? They do it immediately, right? As, as soon as the complaint, and let me tell you something, you know funny, like, everyone in the church complains about something, right? Everyone complains, I mean, everyone also complains about something at their jobs. But the difference here is that when they complained, they complained about something that was deeply important and needed in the church so what's the response of the apostles it was immediately right like they responded immediately with great compassion they didn't they didn't Pushed them aside, they didn't say, no, we, we're just going to deal with preaching the word and studying God's word, and we're not going to address the problem. What they did was they, they actively decided that they were going to address the issue immediately with great compassion. And, and when there's conflict in the church, when there are issues in the church, those issues need to be dealt with immediately with great compassion. But with that said, we here at the chapel have experienced great tragedies in the last year or so. And sometimes, if not oftentimes, we have not addressed issues immediately or with great compassion. We are well aware that at times, especially in the history of our church, that the leaders of our church haven't been compassionate to people in our congregation and for that that's not okay it is not okay that that compassion and love are not characteristics of the leaders and i'm not just talking about the paid ones i'm talking about the lay ones too we're like we should be known for our compassion and our love And it's not okay when we are not compassionate. And it's not okay that we do not address issues immediately. We should take the responsibility of making sure that the people of our congregation are met with much grace and love and kindness, with much compassion and patience. And many times, we don't do that. And sometimes, you know what it is? Sometimes, and I speak for myself, I don't speak for the pastors. Sometimes it's difficult because we, we tend to think that like the ministry that we're doing is for us. It's for our job. It's for our salary. And sometimes we, we get the idea that, that, that you guys are here for us and that's not okay. We are here for you. We are here to lead you, to guide you, but to serve you as well. Now, that doesn't mean that we go that, like, you can start busting me around because I, I, you just, that ain't gonna happen. I'm joking. What that means is that we lead you with compassion, grace, and love every single time, even when you don't do it back. Sometimes we don't do that well because in a large church like ourselves our minds start to drift away from our focus and our attention was the proclamation of the word. If we ever treated you, if I've ever treated you not with compassion and love, I apologize. And I'm sure that our pastors would apologize too. And if we never addressed an issue and I will say this, we have pastors on staff and I, I can think of one, I can think of Nate Braun, our family pastor. There was an issue recently that happened in our church. And he did a fantastic job. You know what Nate said? He said, this is my fault. I own it, and I'm going to address it. And he did. But you know how he did it? With love and compassion. That's the way we're supposed to lead. Because that's the legacy of the early church. They addressed issues immediately with great compassion. And what did they decide to do? What was the other solution? Not only to address it, but to raise up qualified individuals. So, what do the apostles prescribe? Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The 12 did not impose the solution on the church, right? And here's something that we have to realize. When we face trials, when we face obstacles, when we face conflict as a church, it is important that you and I, it's important that we collectively, the pastors, the leaders, the deacons, the lay leaders, the trustees, the congregation, stick together. It's important that we stick together in unity because the problem gets solved with all of us together. It's not just someone or a group of us coming and telling you, here's the solution. No, 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 the solution is that we all stick it out and work together because each of us have a gift. Do you know that God has given you gifts and talents for you to have for the betterment of the church? Do you know that there are people who have gifts and talents in our church that have never been used, right? Like There are people who, who tend to use church like, like a gas station. They come in to pop in for the week and they're out. They're here to pump gas and get out. That's not the, the life of the church. The life of the church is that we, we, we work together in the muck and the mire. We, we get involved in people's lives. We're not here to, to be spectators of a show or a program or we're not spectators of a worship experience, right? We are part of a body, a living organism that's here to lift up the name of Jesus and, and to serve the people in the church, we're not here to be consumers. That's what the world does. That's what other churches do. They're here for the party. They want you to feel as though that you're the only person in the congregation, and it's all about you. No, 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 no. It's about us, together, collectively, not being spectators, but being participants of what? Worshiping God and being intentionally involved in people's lives and in our community. God has given you gifts and talents. I don't have the gift or talent to sing. If I did, this room would be clear. But guess who does? Pastor Byron. That's why he sings. That's the whole point. You and I have, there are people who have the ability to, to be administrators, who can organize and, and who can put things together, who who think um, organizationally. They can help us with projects in our community. There are people who have the ability to serve, who can serve the congregation. There are people who have the ability to teach. I mean, how many people in this room could teach, and yet that gift is not being used You and I have gifts and talents, not for us. It's not for me. It's not so that we can receive the glory. It's so that God can receive the glory and that you would equip other people and you would encourage other people with your gifts and your talents. There are people here who have the ability to play instrument and they haven't touched the instrument at all. And I'm like, I wish I could play the piano at least. But that's not my gift or talent. What's your gift and talent? How has God wired you? What, what abilities do you have for the church? Think about that. So what does, what does the church do? What do the apostles do? They get qualified individuals to serve. And I want to talk about these qualified individuals. I want to talk about two ideas. It's character and competency. All of us, if we work in a large organization or a small business, know, right, that, that, that when we hire someone new, we want to know, can they do the job, right? Do they have the abilities, do they have the capabilities, the talent, um, the knowledge to do the job? And so often in our culture, we look at people's competency, their abilities over their character, right? Like so often we think because someone has the ability to do something that that's what's best for the organization or the company. That's not a prescription of the New Testament or the Old Testament. What God is really concerned about is the heart. He's concerned about your character. What's your character? Your character is your moral compass. It's your ethics. It's it's what you believe. What you believe about God, what you believe about his word, it's gonna inform your practice, right? If you believe that the Bible is God's word and it is absolutely true, and that this ought to be commanded, I mean, this ought to be obeyed from its commandments, then you are going to live a life that's different. So often we think that just because someone is capable of doing something, that they ought to be doing something. Though we all have gifts, though we all have talents that we should use in the church, We should use them knowing that we are of good character. Character has nothing to do with your abilities. Character has everything to do with your disposition, the way you think, the way you act, what you wear, what you say, what you don't do. That is what God's concerned about. He's concerned about you. Because he's the gift giver. He can give you the gift. But what good is the gift if, if you don't have the character? So there's this idea of character competency, right? That someone is of good moral character and also has the competency to do the work. And that's what we see in the seven men. The seven men had character and competency. How do we know they had character and competency? Well, because that's what the apostle prescribed. This is what they told them. Look back at verse three. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of what? Good repute, that's character. Full of the spirit, that's character. And of wisdom, that's competency. There are three criterias in which the apostles selected these individuals. And I think these are three characteristics, these are three criterias that all of us should have. Because guess what? This is not just about like deacons, because this is not the first time they talk about deacons, but though it's referred to the first time in the church that they had individuals who, who made up a, a group of deacons. This is not about elders, Right? You would look at this and say, yes, these are characters of a good elder. These are characters of a good um, pastor. Like We want all our pastors to, to be of good reputation, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. This is the criteria and qualification for all Christians to serve in the church and to be part of the church. Good reputation has to do what people say about you full of the Spirit has to do that your mind, your mouth, your heart, your body, everything you do is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Everything that you, you live out is for the glory of God. Right? Like That is being full of the Holy Spirit, that everything about you is controlled by the Spirit. What you think, what you say, what you do, how you act, where you go, it's all controlled by the Spirit. And the last part is about wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's the truth you believe about God, is the truth that you believe about his word and yourself put into practice. So the apostles prescribed that the men in the church should be men Of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. But those are the criteria for all believers. That's their criteria for every single person to be in the church. And you have to ask yourselves, right? Like, do you have a good reputation? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are you full of wisdom? Because God has given us gifts for us to use in the church. He has given us authority and power in our community to proclaim the gospel. And it's by His Spirit that we do those things. But you have to ask yourselves, as we face cultural tensions in our world, as we face racial tensions in our world, as we face difficulties in our churches, are you full of the Spirit when you address those issues? Or are you full of carnality when you post that thing on Facebook, because you have an opinion and you think everyone needs to hear it? Are you full of the spirit? The three criterias that they laid out for these men are not just criterias for them, they're criterias for us. As we navigate difficult times, as we navigate challenges, they were navigating a challenge of growth as we navigate our own challenges in our own church, these are the qualities that we should have when we address all the issues and problems. Because guess what? We need each other. This ain't about us versus them, or this ain't about the us, the pastors and you. This is about us collectively coming together, being who God has called us to be in the design that God has made us. Full of wisdom, full of spirit, of good reputation, and what's the result? How does God honor the church? Well, you look at the last verse in seven, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What do we see happen in the church when they face challenges, when they were faithful to the Lord, when, when they were obedient to the Lord? when they saw division in the church and they addressed it immediately with compassion, what happened to the church? Multiplication. Imagine that, that in crisis and problems and adversity and conflict and challenges, God can still do a work apart from our inabilities. Imagine that, that in the muck, in the mire of of sin and the things that we're dealing with in our church, that God can continue to multiply his church right, by proclaiming his word to all people, all the time, everywhere, making disciples, that God would use the very issues of the church to demonstrate his power to who? The priests. Did you guys catch that? In verse seven, because of the growth and because of the problem, think about that because of the division and because the men and women of the congregation were faithful to the Lord and being obedient. What happened? A great number of the priests were saved. How about that? These were the priests. <laughs> These were the priests who crucified Christ. These are the priests who beat up the apostles. These are the same priests, Right? who were part of that, 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 that Sanhedrin, who told them, don't preach in the name. What happens? They get saved. That's a testimony to us that God can change the most wicked heart of all, that God in the power of the spirit, by the proclamation of the word, and even through, through difficult and challenging times, God is still working in people's lives. He's still changing people's lives. And all we have to do is be faithful and watch him do it because he can do it, and he'll do it again, because he's done it before, and he'll do it again. That is the great power of the gospel, that even facing challenges in the church, when the church responds by being compassionate and gracious and loving and kind to women and men who have lost a spouse, To women and men who were in need, the gospel still proclaimed the name of Jesus and more people were added to the church. That should be encouraging to us. Look at me. You know why that's encouraging to us? Because even in all the mess that's going on here, we know that God is faithful to his promises and that lives can still be transformed people can still get saved. Marriages can be mended. Broken hearts could be restored. Healing of the sick could happen. Restoration of relationships can be done. Unity in the church can happen, why? Because he's the one that's doing it. The only thing that we have to do is respond in obedience and faith. But my question to end our time is, what is your gift? What is your talent that you have that's been dormant for so much that can, that can provide unity, that can provide help for our church, for people in need? How can you be part of God's power in the church? How can you be part of him multiplying the gospel to all nations? Let's pray. Take a moment. Ask God, what is He calling you to do? As we navigate difficult times in our society, in our culture, as we navigate difficult times in our church, what is God calling you to do? How can you serve Him better? Father God, we we first and foremost thank you that, that you are doing a work in us and in every single church apart from our abilities. We thank you that we just have the opportunity to exercise our giftings and our talents in the body you've called us for your honor and your glory. But God, there are many of us who are still struggling with what you're doing and we ask you collectively, would you open up our hearts and minds? Would you show us what you've called us to do, especially during difficult times? What are you asking of us? What are you you asking us to do here and now? God, I ask you to do these things for the sake of your name and, and the betterment of our church and our people. God, would you, would you truly, O oh Lord, bring insight to those places that, that that bring confusion and doubt? And God, would you would you help us navigate difficult times and challenges? Just like the apostles did. For the sake of your son Jesus and his great name, we pray this in his son and the people of God say, Amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.